0: to come into your space. And we trust and believe that something that God will say today will touch you and minister to you and establish you and send you on your path to flourishing in the courts of the Lord, your God. Amen and amen. And so I just want to remind you again once once again that we meet on Tuesday night while we're praying for our nation and the globe at large. And at the same time, we meet on Wednesday nights where we'll uh, go over the message from today and pray over that as well. And so this morning, I'm going to continue in the message we started a few weeks ago, uh, talking about navigating change. And for today's installment, I will use my title, Jesus, Our True Foundation. Jesus, Our True Foundation. And so last week, I began to talk about how Jacob came to the realization in Genesis chapter 28, verse 17, that he, Jacob, was a center of spiritual activity in the earth, and that Jacob was, in fact, the house of God. And I said that, I made a connection from there to talk about how the terminology of phraseology, house of God, was first mentioned in the scriptures in Genesis 28, verse 17. And that since then, we see that theme watered and developed through our scriptures. In Exodus 25, verse 8, God told Israel, let them build me a sanctuary or a house or a temple or a church that I might dwell among them. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 says, And I will build my church, or my house, or my temple, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 9, Paul uses three metaphors to describe the body of Christ. First, he said we are God's fellow workers or co-workers. Secondly, he said we are God's plants. And then thirdly, he said we are God's building. And then this theme culminates in Revelation 21, verse 3, where the Bible tells us that the tabernacle of God is with man. So we see that this theme is very rich from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. So this morning, I want to establish how this house that God is building, how it will withstand the test of time the test of changes that's blowing all around us the winds are blowing the storms are coming uh, the rain is falling and jesus promises us that any house that is built upon the rock will stand and so we like we said a few weeks ago change is all around us change is inevitable change is a way of life you either in a change going through a change come out of a change, or you are getting ready to go into one. So get ready for it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. However, we have the assurance in and through the Word of God that when we are built according to God's pattern, it does not matter what change comes our way. We will stand, and we will thrive, and we will prevail in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? So, from last week's message, or maybe the previous week before that, the caveat in being able to stand as a house is solely based upon the foundation of the house. We saw, that in the, we saw that in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, when Jesus was speaking. And so this morning, I want to take it from there. Uh, the, uh, I want to go to so Psalms 11, verse 3. Psalms 11, 3 says, if the foundation be destroyed, how or what can the righteous do? Amen? Every building or every house is as strong as its foundation. There's no doubt about that. I had no doubt about that. Last week I showed you the picture of the space needle. I didn't have the time to go into that and show you some things about that. But that space needle, when it was being built, we were told that as there were two-thirds to completion, they found large pockets of air in the foundation. Now think about this now. Two-thirds completed. And because of this compromise in the foundation, they tore the whole thing down. They started building all over again. And the correct foundation was dug 30 feet deep, 120 feet across. And it took 467 uh, uh, cement trucks to fully load and pour concrete in that foundation. Think about that, 467 concrete trucks why because they understood that in order to build up oh glory to god they must first build down glory to god and based on what god is doing here now i want to begin to now show you the foundation is the basis of the groundwork for anything it's the natural prepared ground on which some structure rests part of the reason change comes to all of us It's because God wants to use the change to check our foundation. He wants to use the change to see what are you building on. Are you building on the whims and the imaginations of earthly uh, principles that will not withstand the test of time? Or are you in fact building on a solid rock who is Jesus Christ? Amen? So now, in Exodus 25 verse 8, as I alluded Upon lay in the message, God showed us the first example of the house that He was going to build. In Exodus twenty-five, verse eight, He says, "Let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them." So, from this building that God built, which really was the tabernacle of Moses, from this building, we see God's idea of what and how its foundation will hold a structure. Amen? Now, let me just give you a little background on Israel as it traveled from Egypt to the Promised Land. They had to travel on a terrain that is similar to the desert, which means it was not always flat, which means it was sandy and shifting, and yet, God wanted them to build him a sanctuary, something that would withstand the incredible winds at night in the desert, something that would be able to be steady enough to withstand whatever storms come in the desert, something that, even though the sand on the desert ground was shifting, it will not affect this building that's ingenious of what god did and i'm going to show you that in a minute but to help me understand this uh my wife and i went to dubai a few years back and one of the tourist attractions they had there was this uh, tour or i don't know what they call it was it a tour this thing where you could go out in the desert and drive on the desert sand very funny thing Uh, and so and so we, 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 we booked the uh, tour, we went there, and they took us on this ride, uh, about 30 minutes. I mean, undulating, okay. I mean, the sign everywhere. And for, and for me, having studied the tabernacle, I understand the terrain of the, of, 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 of the Mediterranean, and going from Egypt to Israel, it made it very real for me. Because the sign was so, I mean, I'm talking about, Feet, I mean, the thing is just shifting all over. I said, whoa, this is something. I mean, it's like being on a, on a roller coaster, but you're on sand. Now, with that being said, please, if you have, give me the shot of the silver sockets. If you have it, let me just have that and uh, so I can show. Yeah, here we go. Uh, it, 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 I'm sorry it's not clearer than this, but I want you to see what this foundation for God's building, look like. Remember, they are building this tabernacle which will be uh, assembled and then disassembled and carried along with them as they traveled or as they journeyed in and to the promised land. So, this is God's idea. God wanted a building that would be solid enough that would not be moved or destroyed based on the elements the very, very, very powerful winds and the storms of the wilderness experience. And so what was God's wisdom? How did he build this? How can you build on something like that that can be assembled at a moment's notice and dissembled and carried and transported to the next place and on and on and on for over 40 years? Here we go. So let me read a passage from Exodus chapter 30. No, Exodus 26, verses 18 through 21. And then I'll explain what you're looking at. Exodus 26, verses 18 through 21. And you shall make the boards for the tabernacle. Okay. 20 boards for the south side. You shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards. Two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons, and for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. Now give me back the, uh, the, the sockets. Thank you. So now, this is the idea. You seen the golden boards on the two sides of the tabernacle. I don't want to take the time to explain the golden boards. I I won't have time to get into all of that. But what I'm concerned about today is the foundation. So this is what God did. For these golden boards, which represents us as the body of Christ, by the way, but I will not go into the details of it. These golden boards was to be erected and fitted as we just read into silver sockets silver is a heavy duty metal which has stability so whenever they wanted to assemble the tabernacle the first things they put on that shifting sand was a silver socket And because the silver sockets were 40 in number on each side, it gave the weight and the sturdiness and the stability for the boards, the golden boards, to be inserted in every one of them. So when the boards are standing as you see them on this picture, they are never touching the earth. The bird or the birds, were always completely, in, no, not completely, their legs were always planted where? In the silver sockets. And so, by doing so, the birds always stand upright. Glory to God. They are never making contact with the earth because you are in this world, but you are not of the world. And Jesus has made you and I what upright. We standing what upright. Paul talks about how having done all to do, do what, stand. There you go. You are standing. But you're not just standing, you are standing inside silver sockets. Glory to God, your foundation for standing, your foundation for not touching the earth. Your foundation for being able to be erect, regardless of the winds of the desert, regardless of the storms that come, your reason to be able to stand is because you are planted in silver sockets. Are you hearing me this morning? The silver socket represents none other than the son of the living God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our Messiah. In Isaiah 28, verse 16, the Bible says, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone. Ah, I was tried. But even when it was tried, my God, Herod, Pilate, he had to confess, and find no fault in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. He was tried. So Isaiah says, I lay in in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And then it goes on to say, he that believeth shall not make haste. Jesus is that rock, he is that stone that is our foundation. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says in verse 10 and verse 11, There is no other foundation that anyone can lay except that which has been laid. Jesus Christ is our foundation. And so for anyone that believes, anyone that's born again, anyone that's living in the covenant of God's grace, your foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much more I could have said about the silver sockets, but I don't want to really belabor the point right now. Uh, But suffice it to say, that for that building in Exodus, the rich and the poor gave silver uh, of equal proportion. Because salvation for God, there's no one size for salvation for the rich people and one size salvation for the poor. Salvation was equal in and found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the silver sockets, silver sockets kept the boats from touching the desert floors. It kept the boats from falling which we see this in John chapter 1, 24, that Jesus, the son of God, keeps me and you from stumbling. Amen? Now, I told you already that the silver circuits represents Jesus. Jesus. Let me just get to the meat of this message. So Jesus is our foundation. As contrasted from last week, where many of us come with all kinds of ideas of what foundations can be. Some of us think our money could be a foundation. We think our reputation could be a foundation. We think our education could be a foundation. And on and on and on and on. Our culture, our tradition, all kinds of things that we bank upon, that we rely on in a time of trouble. But there's nothing, none, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the foundation that all of us should rest upon. Now, so when we say Jesus is the foundation, what does that mean? Three things. Number one, his person. His person. Jesus is the express image of who God is. He is the son of God. And I've said it earlier, Isaiah 28, 16, is a sure foundation, a precious precious stone, a tried stone, and is the stone that was laid in Zion. All scriptures point to him. Luke 24, verse 24, Jesus told them, Beginning in the prophets, beginning in uh, yes, in the, in, the, in the prophets and in the law, they talk all about me. Everything the Scripture talks about you. Let's let's even read that. Luke 24. Let's go to Luke 24 verse uh, 27. Luke 24 verse 27. So Jesus being a foundation, what does that mean? Number one, it first to His person. Luke 24 verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expanded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke 24, verse 44. Luke 24, verse 44. The then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So they are three things we must realize or come to grip with when it comes to Jesus as our, as our foundation number one is person number two his work his work he finished the work of our redemption John 19:30 it is finished everything that has to do with him establishing his church has been done and lastly and that's what I really want to close on close out this morning his words so his person his work and his words Jesus said in John chapter 6 verse 63, He said, "The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and their life. They are spirit and their life." Hebrews 11 verse three, we are told that by faith, God framed the walls or the ages by the word of His mouth. He framed our world, or the ages by the word of His mouth now. What is the implication of this for, all of, for, for us as I close? The implication is the believer's foundation must be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The believer's foundation must be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I said some things last week that I want to repeat today because it bears repetition. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 24 through 27, as he closed out the sermon on the mount, gave us what I can call his closing argument. You know how when a lawyer presents a case in court, in spite of all the pertinent, evidence they've introduced the closing argument is the most powerful in fact we have that playing out right now with our elections coming up both candidates right now are given what their closing argument as to why they are the right person to lead us for another four years very powerful so jesus here has preached this message on the sermon of the mount matthew chapter 5 matthew chapter 6 matthew chapter 7 and in these last three verses, he's giving us his closing argument why you need to pay attention and pay heed to everything he has said. So let me go over the, that passage again. Therefore, that was therefore the first everything he said before them. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the question to all of us and those of you listening via streaming, the question is, are you a wise man or woman or are you a foolish man or woman? How wise are you or how foolish can you be? Huge. And how you answer that question is predicated on what Jesus said. Are you just a hearer only of the word of God Or are you a doer? Because Jesus said, if all you do is hear and you do not do, you're foolish. Now, I didn't say that. And I'm not calling anyone foolish. I'm just telling what the word of God says. Let me read that passage again. Therefore, whoever, rich or poor, male or female, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. In other words, the house you are building will not fall as long as you hear and you're doing. Yeah. I think James speaks up that same notion when he says, Be not hearers only, but be doers of the word. Hearers don't change nations. Hear us only. Do not change a culture. Those that are just hear and do absolutely nothing will, in fact, the enemy is clapping for you. Keep on hearing, but do nothing. Because as long as you hear and do nothing, you are not a threat to the devil. You will never fully come to know the potency of the word of God as long as all you do is just hear and do nothing as far as god is concerned and the devil i think both of them agree on this one you're foolish if all you do is just hear and never do amen now he says for those that do hear and do not do anything that they are foolish and of course we see the consequence both houses are built both are livable both receive rain the rain represents the grace of god which means God's grace is given to all men, male and female, born again or not born again alike. The grace of God, the Bible says in Thessalonians 2, verse 11 and verse 12, the grace of God unto salvation has appeared to all men. So every one of us, regardless of your disposition to God, has received the grace of God. The only difference is, what are you using that grace to do? What are you using it to, go, to do? God gave me something last night uh, as I was thinking about this message. God's grace to us is his gift to us. His grace is his gift to us, to all mankind. My obedience to God is my gift back to God. Think about that. How much gift are we giving God? How much gift are we giving him In commensuration with what he's given us. His grace to us is his gift. And thank God he gives that grace indiscriminately. White or black, poor or rich, tall or short, it does not matter. The only thing you and I can give back to him is what we do with our grace, our obedience. I think it's Brother Uwem that said in one of our fellowships. So God gave him children. (laughs) That's a gift. He said, but when he trained those kids and he became doctors and pharmacists, that's what gives back to God. That's his gift back to God. Do you see what I'm saying? You have to do something with God, what God has given you. It's not enough. You just suck the air and just breathe and say, I'm alive. Praise God. Hallelujah. For what? What benefit are we? If we can shine forth and radiate the glory of the power of his presence and be the difference in a dark and perverted generation. So the issue here is Jesus said hearing and doing or if you will hearing and obedience is what makes the difference. There are many hearers but not enough obedient people. Ah, no, 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 no. I don't have enough time. This, this is serious. Because listen, listen to what Jesus said. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him will have everlasting life. Is that what they said? Yeah, that's what he said. But when you and I look at that word, believe, we are using the dictionary definition to understand that word, believe. The dictionary definition of belief means, yeah, I believe this is Miss Pedro sitting in front of me. I believe this is Sharon Akimola. Yeah, I believe I believe Jesus to be the Son of God. I believe him to be a man of God. I believe him to be my Messiah. The Bible definition definition affirms that a certain body of fact is true. This something is true, this someone is true, but the dictionary definition is completely passive. Do you follow what I'm saying? Passive in that he does not command any action. So when I say I believe that the president of the United States is Donald J. Trump, there's no action required. I just believe it. And unfortunately for many believers, we bring that same notion to the scriptural meaning of belief. Wrong. The scriptural meaning of belief goes beyond a passivity of just saying, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, Barack Obama was president number 44. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. The Bible definition of belief means you not only assent to the truth, but you also have corresponding action. Where that action is missing, you don't believe. Whoo, glory to God. I hope you guys are hearing what I'm saying. When the Bible says believe, it's looking for some action. When it says believe, it's looking for a corresponding action. That's why James says, don't just be hearers only, but doers of the world. Right. James chapter 2. Let's, let's go there. James chapter 2. Give me five more minutes and we, you'll be on your way home. Your rice will not burn on the fire. James chapter 2. Hallelujah. Verse. Uh, okay. Verse 17, look at what it says. James two seventeen. thus also faith by itself. If it does not have works, it's dead. If you have faith and no works, it's dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now look at verse 19, this is huge. You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe yeah. and tremble. <laughs> In other words, you're believing with no action. It's a waste of time. Hmm. Now you can fully understand Mark nine twenty-four, where the man says, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. How does both of that go together? I believe mental assent. Help my own belief. I have no works to show. Help me transfer from the mental assent of believing to having corresponding action to back up what I believe. That's where many people are, and that's why when the storms come, when the rainfall, when the winds blow, they are blown away because they have a mental assent of believing, but they don't really do what Jesus says. If I was to poll us tonight, to this morning, I say, oh, how many people believe in giving to God and be a blessing to God? Everybody would raise up at their hands. <laughs> but I was still, check your, find, check your checkbook, PayPal, Kindred, Cash App, and find out how you are giving. Yeah. Many of us will put hands like this, oh, my God, help me, Jesus. Listen, you cannot believe it and don't do it. If I'm not doing it, that means I need help in that area. I'm not believing yet. Because right believing leads to right behavior. It's just that simple. And this is the f- solid foundation we're trying to build on. Jesus said, you hear Him my words and you're doing it. Obedience is part of the equation for believing. Amen. Now, I know when I said that, many of us who have been programmed against legalism, against the works of the law, against works as per Moses, you are screaming holy mother! say, oh, obedience is works. Really? Read your Bible. Because faith without works is dead. Obedience is the action I take based on the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Performance, on the other hand, is following a list of mind-made requirements in order to please God. Big difference. Big difference. Performance is following a long list of man-made requirements to please God. But obedience is what comes out of a delightful heart yeah. based on the promptings of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as God is dealing with me, prompting me, and I stay put, I don't move, and I think I'm building on the solid foundation back to that james 2 2 i'm almost done i'm almost done look at verse 21 james 2 21 ah no don't let me miss don't let me miss uh james 2 20. do you want do you want to know all oh, foolish mind do you, do you see that terminology yeah. jesus said a man who builds on the sand is foolish james comes back and tells us defines to us what that foolish man looks like okay verse 21 was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son unto the altar? In other words, Abraham said he believed God. And that belief was put to test. Put your son on the altar. Don't just give me this verbal, this nice thing we say in church. Ah, God is, I'm highly favored, blessed of God. Yeah, you are highly favored. You are blessed of God. What are you, show, what are you doing to show that? So God told, talk to Abraham, offer your son, and he did. By his works, he showed his faith. And then the other example we see here, uh, in verse 22, do you see that faith works? No, faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect. And then you look at verse, 20, uh, <coughs> verse 25. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot, also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Even Rahab. She believed, but her believing showed a manifestation. Now, last scripture, we close. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. Give it to me in the amplified classic, please. Thank you. Acts chapter 8, amplified classic. Acts chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. Thank you. Amplified classic. Thank you. And as they continued along the way, they came to some water, and the Enoch exclaimed, See, here is water. What is to hinder me from being baptized? This Ethiopian Enoch, having heard the gospel, understood the the, the ordinance of baptism, And he was asking Philip, Philip, now, I'm born again. Can I get water baptized? Watch verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, parenthesis, let's define biblically the word believe. Because it's a huge distinction between what the dictionary says believe is. Look at what it says. If you have a conviction, check. Full of joyful trust, check. That Jesus is the Messiah, check. And accept him as the author of your salvation in the kingdom of God, check. Check giving him your obedience. Do you see the fallacy in the believism we've taught and preached in the church for years? Where we think we can just bring somebody to the altar and say, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And they say, yes, we believe, no commitment necessary, no obedience of heart, and we send them their jolly way, you're on your way to heaven. This is the Bible definition of the word believe. There has to be corresponding action. There has to be obedience to the words of Jesus. I finished prosecuting my case. I rest my case this morning. Are you a believer or not? For those of you who listen to me in the sanctuary and those listen through the history means online, are you a believer according to the Bible definition? Or are you only a believer according to, uh, to dictionary.com? Dictionary.com is good, but it will not get you to heaven. It will not get you to heaven. The only thing that will get you to heaven is believing according to biblical pattern hearing the words of jesus and doing it i'm not talking about legalism i'm talking about the promptings of the holy spirit to obey what god is saying and unless we resolve this will be a house built on the sand the winds will blow rain will fall storms will come unless you are built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. His person, his finished work, and his words. You find yourself being tossed to and fro by every wing of doctrine. It doesn't have to be so. If you just buy your heads now, let me just pray for us. Let me just pray for us. And so, Father, we thank you for this incredible privilege that we have Amen. to hear the proclamation of your word And what you truly mean by the word believing. There are many who have taken the wrong assumption that they believe on you. But their believing has been selective where they obey when they feel like, they obey when it's convenient, and the moment you touch that sacred cow in their lives, they say, oh, Jesus, don't touch this. Don't touch this. And so, Father God, this morning, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit That the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, will bring conviction to our hearts and help us to understand that we have to have a full surrender, acknowledging your Savior, and at the same time, willing to follow your promptings and your obedience wherever you may lead us. It was what I said to Peter. Peter, when he was young, he gathered himself and went wherever he wanted to go. But that the day was coming when he would become old when another would dress him and lead him sometimes to places he does not want to go and so father god we are trusting our care into your hands we cast our cares for our lives for our homes for our families for our businesses we cast our cares upon you because we know we're able to trust you you are trustworthy you are the stone that's laid for a foundation you are a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. You are a sure foundation. And so, Father God, we receive your foundation this morning. We thank you for the privilege. And we thank you more, most of all for giving us the courage and the ability not only just to hear but to do. Yeah. So we are not just hearers only, but we become doers of your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that distinction that we are going to leave this place changed to obey you and to follow through in the name of Jesus. And for those of us who have never been born again, Lord, I thank you for this privilege that we can come home to you now. You stand at the door and you are knocking. And so, Father, we say, come on in, come on in, come on in. Change us. We thank you for the atoning sacrifice you made. We accept that sacrifice now. We thank you that you are Son of God we receive the remission of our sins and the forgiveness. And we'll receive your grace now to be a born-again child of God, living in prompt obedience to your directions. Thank you, Father. We'll honor you, bless you, in Jesus' name. Amen.